this morning, and there's three of them. The first reading is from Isaiah, chapter 19, verses 23 to 25. And that's Isaiah 19, 23 to 25. On that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria will go to Egypt, Egypt to Assyria, and Egypt will worship with Assyria. On that day, Israel will form a triple alliance with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing within the land. The Lord of hosts will bless them, saying, Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance, are blessed. The second reading is from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. It's Acts 11, 1 to 3. The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had welcomed God's message also. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, those who stressed circumcision argued with him, saying, You visited uncircumcised men and ate with them. And the final reading, also from Acts 11, this is verses 19 to 26. Acts 11, 19 to 26. Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you, half faces, but still great to see your eyes. And it's great to have our youth with us this morning. Just want to say to youth, to our youth, that you are part of the church. So whenever we have you up in worship together, we are very glad to do that together. So welcome. So in 1975, the Vietnamese War had ended. After this long war, there were many Vietnamese people who had to leave their home, whether it's because of economic uh, crisis or just what happens after many years of war in a, in a country. Many fled as immigrants and refugees to find a better life. And the Vietnamese people were called boat people because they traveled by boat and immigrated to other countries. And one of the areas that these Vietnamese people uh, immigrated to was the south part of 
America. So Texas, places like New Orleans, and also Houston. And the residents of those places weren't sure about these new immigrants and that, that came into their country. Many were fishermen, and they felt threatened that the boat people would take over their jobs and perhaps their country. And so some of these residents decided to call the KKK to get their help to get rid of these people and threaten them with violence. Many were, to go, many were told to go back to their own country. It's ironic because the Vietnamese people were in America because of America's involvement in the war. Much like the Korean War, the reason in many ways why I'm here today, is that the war in Vietnam was considered uh, by some as a proxy war, a war between really U.S. and Russia, the, the two big powers, world powers at the time, and Vietnam was a war that was just, they were puppets in this massive global um, fight for power. So over about 800,000 Vietnamese people in a span of about 15 years had to leave their home and were scattered. And this idea of being scattered is not new. We've seen how God wanted Adam and Eve to, and all human beings to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. We looked at the Tower of Babel last week and how the people, instead of filling the earth, they stayed amongst themselves in their own ghettos. And so God scattered them to fill the earth. That term ghetto here, again, isn't about this a poor area, but this idea of the silos of, of just being with your own people. In our passage today, we see another scattering of a group of people who wanted to huddle amongst themselves instead of going out. I mean, if you were the Jewish people, wouldn't you be huddling together, being scared of what may happen to you? You're in Rome, or you're being, you're being uh, under the uh, rule of Rome, being the minorities. And even though you've experienced the Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and gave you a sign of something more than just maybe a Jewish religion, they were still the minorities, and they had to keep their faith. And we have to remember that the early Christians, these Jewish Christians, didn't really think, that, think of themselves as Christians as much as the Jewish people who had received the Messiah. They felt that they were just continuing the Jewish religion, but with Jesus as the expected Messiah. This might be why we see in the Jerusalem church how the leaders there were so worried about Peter and who Peter was having lunch with. Look at chapter 11, verse 1 to 3 with me. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. The apostles and other believers in Judea heard these rumors and stories that, that these Gentiles were starting to come to faith. And out of all people, there was news that Peter went into an uncircumcised Gentile's home and ate with them. You know Peter, the one who spoke 
uh, during Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came down, the spokesperson and the face of their new movement was eating with uncircumcised Gentiles. How can that be? It was so scandalous. But why was it scandalous? It was scandalous because for the Jewish people during that time, food laws and circumcision were core practices to who they were. These things marked them as God's chosen people, and Peter was now just cutting away from what it meant to be Jewish. That made the apostles and the other believers in Jerusalem very worried. So you can see why they were concerned about Peter breaking away from what it meant to be Jewish. And we see how Peter here responds to the sto- with the story of how he entered into Cornelius, Cornelius, Cornelius's house. And how he f- experienced firsthand how the Holy Spirit fell upon this group of Gentiles. And listen to what Peter says about his experience. This is 11, chapter 11, verse 17 to 18. So if God gave them, gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The leaders in Jerusalem with Peter are excited and praise God. But did you hear something there? That the way they view the Gentiles? They said, even to the Gentiles, that God gave them repentance. That these sinful, less than outsiders, even to them, God has come. And in some sense, again, you can't blame the Israelites. They've been oppressed for so long by so many different nations that they had to work really hard to preserve and keep their Jewish identity. These food rituals and the act of circumcision were not just a way to stay Jewish, but was a reminder of the promise that God gave Abraham and this small nation of Israel. So let's go back about 700 years from this story of Peter to the prophet of Isaiah. Just as Vietnam Vietnam was a small player caught in a caught between two big world powers, the nation of Israel were caught between the two big world powers of Egypt and Assyria. Israel had already faced much suffering from both of these nations, and now were considering of forming an alliance with Egypt because Assyrians were going to come and take over. So it's within this context that we hear something strange from Isaiah. And, we, you know, Cliff read this for us today, but let's look at it. At, look at it again. I'm just like tongue-tied this morning. Isaiah 19, 23 to 25. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Assyria and Egypt, both of whom have been enemies and had a long history of enmity between the two groups, 
kind of like our modern day, you know, U.S. And, and Russia and the Cold War. But look at what happens to these two enemies. Isaiah says that there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyrians and Egyptians will go back and forth from both countries on this highway. Almost like free trade or, or something. Um, and, and, and the highway was a metaphor that was used to talk about removing any of these alienation and separation from hostile parties, two hostile parties. And here we see that God will remove the hostility between these nations and will provide a quick and open road or communication between the nations that were fighting for such a long time. But even more than that, God will build God, or not because of this expressway, Egypt and Assyria will now worship God together. And Egypt, Assyria, and Israel will all worship God together and be a blessing on earth. But look at verse 25. It says, The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. My people and my handiwork. These two names are names that are reserved for the people of Israel. But here God says, through Isaiah, that the names of my people and my handiwork will not be applied to both the Egyptians and the Assyrians. This would have been shocking to those who have heard this from the prophet Isaiah. The very nations that enslaved Israel are now, and, and are now attacking them, the historical enemies of Israel are now called God's people and his handiwork. This, this prophecy, though, is spoken by Isaiah, is in line with what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, where God says that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. It's not because Isaiah were, um, not Isaiah, it's not because Israel were God's only people, but rather because all of humanity is made in the image of God that God calls the enemies of Israel his people. Like, isn't this pretty amazing? I've never remember hearing about God calling Egypt, Egyptians and Assyrians my people and my handiwork. I've always seen them as the enemy of God, right? The enemy of God's chosen people. But we, what we see here is a glimpse of the heart of God and what his kingdom is about. It isn't about making sure that one group of people come ahead, but rather bringing peace and love to all of God's people. What is amazing about this passage to me is that God had from the beginning, as part of his design and his plan, wanted all nations to be united as his people, worshiping God together. And that this plan really isn't just up to us but it's accomplished through Jesus. And this is what God will do. Last week, Greg talked about the Tower of Babel, and we saw in that story how the people at that time all spoke one language and decided to build a tower to make a name for themselves. So God scatters them by creating different languages, not as a punishment, but rather as a way to accomplish the plans that God had for humans all along. This got me thinking about the, the, just the idea of scattering. 
We as human beings have filled the earth and have created different societies and cultures through scattering. Yet what we have done in many of our countries is that we have created our own ghettos or silos with people that are exactly like us, and we've built these towers to make a name for ourselves, whether it's Canadian, Russian, Iranian. My question for us is, what if God scattered us to help us in becoming diverse, and that, that, his, and that he is continuing to scatter us so that we don't get stuck in our own silos? What if immigration and immigrants are God's way of creating highways so that we're not just Chinese or Indian or Scottish? Can it be that through immigration, including refugees, we are part of God's desire for humanity to be fruitful and to multiply? Are we filling the earth by mixing up countries and cultures so that we can learn how to live as one? What if the kingdom of God is subversively coming to fruition by this intermingling of nations? Immigrants, then, are not a threat to our society or a way to get hard-working cheap labor, but rather immigrants become the way and the opportunity for God's purposes of filling the earth. Can God be a God of the immigrants? And just in case I haven't convinced you yet, look with me to Acts eleven nineteen. Here we see again how the scattering creates an opportunity for diversity in community. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out with, when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Again, this kind of sense of, of um, sticking to your own kind. And some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Here we see the people are scattered again, and some ended up in the city of Antioch. The city of Antioch was a crossroad of cultures and trade. It was much like Toronto, where many different cultures were together. So in this multicultural setting, it makes a lot of sense that the Jews who were immigrating to that city were only talking and mingling amongst themselves. There's comfort in that. We don't know what happens, but some of the men, possibly inspired by the Holy Spirit, start sharing the good news with those who spoke Greek, those who were different than them, and many came to know the Lord. And again, we see that the news gets back to the church in Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas to check out what's going on in this church of Antioch. There's, there's Gentiles hanging out with Jewish people, and they're, they're Christians, or they're, they're, they're worshiping God together. So we see that Barnabas goes and, and sees how God is with the people of Antioch, and they pass on that news to um, the church of Jerusalem. And here we see for the first time the church of uh, Jesus being called as Christians. 
In a multicultural city, the church of Antioch, Antioch became the place where those who were outside of the church were seeing what was happening within the church and started to call these group of people Christians. They were called Christians because they were a community that was different than anything that the people of Antioch has had experienced. No, there's nothing new about people from different ethnicities in a, in a multicultural city like this. But what they saw there was that different people of different ethnicities were mingling and loving one another. The Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, the rich and poor, male and female, were all part of the same community. The people of Antioch didn't know what to call these people, what to categorize them as, and so then they said, Christians. And the word Christian can be translated as Christ followers or those of the household of Christ. And it's the second understanding of what the word Christian means, I think, that I want to end our time with. The Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus at the church of Antioch weren't called Jewish Christians Gentile or Gentile Christians, but were seen as this new group of people, those of the household of Christ. They were called Christians there because they were a distinct group of people that lived as one beyond their ethnic identities to that of their new identity as the family of Christ. Galatians 3, 26, where Paul is referring to the church of Antioch. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are all children of God. Christ becomes the restorer of our image of God and is the one who unites us, his, us as his children, where diversity and distinctiveness is not a place of disagreement or fighting or a, a, a threat, but is a rather a way in which we can grow, learn, and appreciate one another. Our identity is not in our ethnicities, our social constructs, our gender identity, or any other label we like to use to identify ourselves with. Even though these things add to who we are, they are subservient to who we are in Christ. This is why the call of discipleship, the call to be a Christian, isn't about who I define myself as, but rather the willingness to follow Jesus to death and to baptism. When we enter into baptism, and we've talked about this before, is that we, we, we join Jesus in his death as we enter into that water. We let go of whatever we hold dear, all those things that matter to us, not because those things are bad in and in of themselves, but by letting go, we are born again as we come out of that water as children of God. The things that we care so much about that add to who we are then are transformed into a way of love. It helps us to care for one another and share with one another ourselves because we can now give away who we are without ever losing or needing to preserve who we are. So how do we as Spring Garden Church 
be a community that lives so differently than, uh, than our culture that they will look at us and label as, you know, fill in the blank. What would a community like that look like? I don't know about you, but in the last couple years, I feel as though our world and society has become much more divisive. Right? Whatever the issue is, we have let those issues and where we stand on those issues define us, but also define others. We have built our own silos and ghettos and have put barriers amongst one another and have lost what unites us. This is true in our society, but I think also in our church communities. We've given people labels such as anti-vaxxers, Trump supporters, etc. What would it look like to be a community that is united in a world that is so divided over so many different issues? Vaccinated or not, same sex or not, liberal versus conservative or the People's Party. Whatever the hot topic may be that is divisive, what if we were a community that could live in love and unity in the midst of having different opinions on topics that, that are dividing us now? What if we could be a church and a community that is not so black and white, but believe in the beautiful diversity of God and God's people? What if we could be people who are willing to be stretched in our own understanding of what truth is and be willing to trust in Christ who is the head of the church? And what if we led by example to our children and to our youth that we could be with others who are different than us and still love them? even those we may consider our enemies. Then I believe that others would start spreading rumors about us, saying, you know, those, those spring gardeners, they're crazy. They actually love each other. Could it be? I've been watching uh, a Netflix show, and you know, during COVID, you're watching a lot of shows, right? called Ugly Delicious, and it's a food documentary, kind of like a documentary about different types of food and the history of food, but also the, the evolution and the philosophy of food. And this is where I learned about the conflict of the Vietnamese people and the KKK. I didn't even know about this. And, and the reason why this came up was around the idea of the food that they were talking about was crawfish. Does anyone know what crawfish is? Okay. See, I had no idea what crawfish was. But it's basically like shrimp, but different. And it's, it's in the south. <laughs> it's part of the same crustacean family, right? And, and in New Orleans especially, Cajun crawfish is their religious food, right? Like, and you can't make it any other way but the way they make it, which is by boiling them. And supposedly boiling crawfish is like the worst way to make them, but that's how they make them, and you don't change it. And then there's this other group of, uh, and then there's Houston, where, again, there's Vietnamese people in New Orleans, but also in Houston. And Houston, what happened was with, with the immigration of the Vietnamese people there, they started making Viet Cajun crawfish. And it like took off. And this one white critic, food critic, talks about how once she tried Viet Cajun crawfish, 
She never wanted to have crawfish in any other way. It really makes me want to go there and try it. Um, but at the cool part of this story is that then the people in, in uh, New Orleans who are Vietnamese now went back to Vietnam and started making Viet Cajun crawfish in Vietnam. And then this lady now is using local produce and now is called, she calls it Viagen? Viagen. She's calling it Viagen. So a, a very, I don't think it's going to catch that, that phrase. <laughs> but people in Vietnam are eating Viet Cajun crawfish in Vietnam. And the whole point of that episode and, and, and the story is that people can get very militant and almost um, hostile about their food, right? And crawfish is only made in this way. But as, as people started opening up, as, as immigrants started arriving, and as people started mingling together, food became a bridge. It became a highway of Egyptians and Assyrians eating and dining and being people together. And one of the joys of living in Toronto to me is the diversity of cultures and food. I don't need to go anywhere else in the world. I could eat it here. You know, and as long as you find someone who is of an ethnicity, right, you could ask them, hey, where's the best Filipino food? Or, hey, where's the best this? And usually they know, right? And you go and try it. Just the other day, one thing cool is yesterday, we went to Miva Me to pick up some Middle Eastern food, right? So we got some lafa bread and some shawarma, chicken shawarma. And then I dropped by a, a jerk chicken place and picked up some jerk chicken, put that together with some sriracha sauce, and that was my dinner. <laughs> and if you've never tried that lafa bread with, and, and baba ganoush, you need that, <laughs> and mix those things together and try Trust me, it's, it's, it's very good, very good. And that's what something good that could happen here too, right? Though we are of many cultures in this country, in this city, we can still get pockets of silos where we have Koreatown, Little Italy, where people can still be very siloed into just our own people, groups, wanting to preserve who we are. But I think what the beauty of this country and our city is that when we start crossing over, when we start actually intermingling, we could create some beautiful food together. And if you've never thought of it, about it this way, you being here in Toronto, you being here at Spring Garden, what if we as different cultures, genders, or whatever else label you use to define yourself, what if us, us being here together is God's calling of bringing his kingdom on earth. What if this intermingling of food and, and cultures is a sign for the world? One of the things I can't wait when this pandemic is over is for us to have a potluck. Because I think when we have... I don't know why I'm getting emotional about food. <laughs> but I see it as a great banquet, right? The great table of Christ, where we bring our own food and, and the 
intermingling of our, our, of our national dishes. And to me, that is communion. That is us being together, being the people of Christ. One of the important things I do want to point out, though, is that being this diverse family of Christ and, and loving one another isn't really easy. It's hard. It's messy. There's always that awkward cousin in your family that you only want to see during Christmas. Right? But God calls us to be united as his people. Because when people are different than us, it, is, it isn't a thing to say, why is that person so different? But maybe it's a way, it's an opportunity for us to learn more about who they are and about who we are. And it doesn't happen overnight. Peter here, who was eating with the, the Gentiles, later on, when the Jerusalem church comes to visit Antioch, he got scared off. And he stopped eating with Gentiles. And he ate just with the Jews in the church, which he got rebuked for later. So just to say that we can't, we're not looking at the early church to say they were perfect and we're so far off, but that we're part of this journey of God bringing us together. And the good news is that God is the one who had this vision from the very beginning. He is the one who wanted to bless us and told us to fill the earth. And he continues to scatter, scatter us and brings others to us so that we can intermingle and become more integrated as the people of God. This is God's doing. He has already created the highway where all nations are going back and forth. He is the one that made the way, and we are called to walk in it and reach out to the other as we live as the family of Christ. And so may it be on this day, the Lord Almighty will bless us, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God of all nations, we thank you and praise you that even this morning we could come together as people from different nations, ages, genders, that we come together to worship you. And to me, that is a sign that we are, we are walking with you, that we are in the right place. So Father, whatever it is that keeps us from crossing over, that scares us, help us to be reminded that we are your beloved children and that will never change. So then we could enter without fear. We could let people come into our places without fear. In Jesus' name, amen.